0: Welcome to the Newsbusters podcast with your host, executive editor of Newsbusters, Tim Graham. Hello and welcome from the Media Research Center in Reston, Virginia, soon to be in Herndon, Virginia. It's the Newsbusters podcast. Always remember that if you want to support our work taking the fight to the liberal media, you can always donate at mrc.org donate or just offer a couple of prayers. All right, so we have a special guest today joining us from across the road, uh, uh, Emily Jashinsky, who is the culture editor at The Federalist, uh, host of The Federalist Radio Hour, the CounterPoints podcast with Ryan Grimm, (laughs) and uh, director of the National Journalism Center. Welcome.
1: Thank you for having me. Well, we're still neighbors.
0: So you're from Wisconsin. We're in Wisconsin.
1: Uh, it's a town called Delafield, kind of outside Waukesha, west of Waukesha.
0: Yes, yes. In fact, I may, we may have stayed there this summer after the Brewer game. I caught a Brewer game with my brother, and it was somewhere in the Waukesha County. We got a we got a hotel, but uh, I'm from Viroqua over by La Crosse. So mm-hmm. we're we're the the third district, the very dairy dairy district. Yes, that's where I grew up. Uh, Now, one of the things we'd like to talk about today with you, Emily, is the National Journalism Center. I was a National Journalism Center person back in 87.
1: The Stan Evans days.
0: Yes. Stan Evans. Stan Evans could cut a rug. We'd have dances. (laughs) I've heard that. Yes. Uh, I interned for Evans and Novak. Some people have heard of Novak, Mm -hmm. but the younger people are like, who's Evans? Right. And I'm like, well, back then, Evans and Novak had a show on CNN. (laughs) Uh, it was it, that was a glamorous internship, although you really didn't write anything. You mm-hmm. just helped them do stuff. but it was it was fun. Uh, but they the big story here was you had a big dinner the other night. we had some media research center people there handing out the Dow Prize for Excellence in Investigative journalism. Uh, and you gave it to some people would call these are not conservatives, right? <laughs> uh, Barry Weiss, formerly of the New York Times. Matt Taibbi, formerly of Rolling Stone, mm-hmm. and Michael Schellenberger for their work on something called the Twitter Files, which if you just rely on the mainstream media for your news, you'd be like, what's the Twitter Files?
1: Right. Yes, exactly.
0: Uh, it's something they've really suppressed. In fact, I noticed this on your Twitter. They They were suppressing something on wikipedia about the prize?
1: Wikipedia editors are such weirdos, but they they tried to scrub mention of the Dow Prize from Matt Taibbi's wikipedia page and because you can track the edits to wikipedia and you can see the debate, it was pretty clear they were saying, you know, this is a partisan award, it's not reputable because it's partisan, it's affiliated with a conservative nonprofit. Uh, now, eventually that editor who tried to scrub it for those reasons was overcome, and that gets to the real reason why the Dow Prize exists because the Pulitzer Prizes have become such garbage that they reward the Russia collusion hoax. They they reward reporters who perpetuate false narratives. They reward the 1619 Project. So we felt it was really important to try to step into that gap. And, you know, the finalists that won this award were from the Washington Free Beacon, some just excellent series of Mm -hmm. reporting, diving into leftist dark money, diving into uh, institutional wokeness. So we hope in the future, we're going to be doing this for at least the next decade, that a lot of those people who are doing the good, journalism, excellent journalism, airtight, uh, truth-seeking journalism, as we call it at NJC, that goes all the way back to Stan's days, mm-hmm. uh, will finally get the uh, rewards they deserve, the recognition they deserve, because the incentive system, as you know, in media is broken. If you're going to get rewarded for doing bad work and smeared like Taibi, smeared and censored like Taibi and Schellenberger and Barry for doing good journalism, why would you do good journalism? So we're trying to change that.
0: I think the thing that's mind-boggling to me is that anybody would say at this particular point that the Pulitzer Prizes are somehow nonpartisan, but this, I guess, is the way our media operate. Uh, but look, it, the Pulitzer Prizes, I would argue, have been bad for a long time in that we can go back to them giving it to the New York Times for um, in Stalin's era, mm-hmm. you know, and and the New York Times refuses to give that Pulitzer back mm-hmm. Uh you know, Millie Vanilli getting a Grammy was not as offensive as <laughs> giving the New York Times something for being pro-Stalin. Right. Uh, but, you no, know, you're absolutely right. The Pulitzer Prizes are um, extremely slanted, very partisan, and it seems to me like they give their awards based on, well, we're just happy somebody was doing this work. Mm. So, yes, you'll go to the Russian collusion stories, and and there was a demand for them to retract the New York Times Prize for that, and they were like, well, no, all of these individual stories are accurate. Well, what were the individual stories? They were like, well, Mueller's doing this today. Mm-hmm. All right, well, then basically what you're doing is you're giving somebody a prize because they were on the right topic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and that seems to be the way it's going. This is why we created the Bulldog Prizes mm-hmm. here at Media Research Center. It's that same idea, which is, we, uh, how do we address this issue? And that is that these people want to pretend that conservative journalism isn't journalism.
1: Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. And we need a lot more of it. And that's it's it's so important, because if you look at uh, the prestige, the trail of prestige and pedigree that follows so many reporters in the so-called mainstream media that are doing such awful journalism, they're always, quote, award winning journalists. Yes, always they are. And so basically there are all of these reporters on the right in conservative media, there are some reporters in new media, Taibbi, Barry, and and Mike are great examples of that, um, that are just doing fantastic work and are being smeared and censored for doing good journalism. You know, you you get Taibbi and Schellenberger being called so-called journalists by Democrats in Congress in a pretty chilling way, Uh, but also there's, you know, a lot of this came from we have a, a particularly talented young alumni named gabe kaminsky he's at the oh, washington yes. examiner Yeah. fantastic he's the most prolific intern uh, in modern njc history he wrote some 192 articles wow. in his 12 weeks uh, oh boy 12 weeks a lot of it was really original stuff too he was doing such good work we figured, you know, we want to do part of, be a part of what you guys are doing with the Bulldog Prize, and and you know, start awarding our young alumni mm-hmm. from NJC who are doing great work. And uh, the Dow Fang and Angela Foundation, who's uh, putting up the money for the award uh, for the Dow Prize, they saw us give Gabe an award, and they were like well, we want to scale that up. Let's scale that up uh, because we think that's a great idea. Um, And so that's where it it all started to come together and that's where it came from. And we couldn't agree with them more. Um, So hopefully a lot of, you know, especially young, scrappy journalists and conservative media uh, will get due recognition going forward.
0: Uh, This is one of those things that's, what's interesting about it is that the Twitter file story was a story about how a narrative was suppressed I mean, that's uh, one of the things that's fascinating is that th- these people do want not want to acknowledge, maybe because they think somehow it fits the Donald Trump, the election was rigged narrative, mm-hmm. that they suppressed all of this content. Uh, this is what the Twitter files were, was explaining how it was uh, that Twitter worked with the FBI, you know, to... Uh, to To make sure that if something like the Hunter Biden laptop came out, which the FBI was sitting on, they didn't want anybody to see it, mm. uh, that they would somehow flag this as a Russian disinformation op, which they obviously did. <laughs> then they all had to acknowledge basically that that was not the case. Uh, but it, it, it does underline why the country needs uh, conservative journalism. And why, I mean, I, this is where it's like, if you're pro journalism, we at, at MRC always want to say we're pro journalism. If you do aggressive journalism exposing a conservative and it's correct, mm-hmm. then we say good for you. Uh, you know, I always thought, for example, Emily, that, you know, tough reporting on the Trump organization, uh, like David Farenthold was doing on the at the Washington Post. Uh, that's fine. Go ahead. Go mm-hmm. ahead and do that. But see, here we're saying who's doing the tough. Journalism on Hunter Biden and Joe Biden and right. James Biden. And the answer is the news, the so called objective news media, is not doing that topic. Mm-hmm. So that's something to look at. You know, maybe this is part of it too, Emily, this whole idea that they don't acknowledge that the conservative media exists. And then they don't want to acknowledge that conservative journalism actually affects people, mm-hmm. that they absorb it. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, why is it that Trump is beating Biden in the polls right now in the swing states? I,
1: th- I think that's exactly right. They can't grapple with how... Uh their powers as gatekeepers are being eroded every single year. I mean, just eroded at incredible levels. I think when people, especially this week, were circulating that times Sienna poll that showed Biden just getting clobbered at historic levels in terms of losing support from African-American voters mm. and other key Democratic voting blocs, uh, that's because the so-called mainstream media is not as powerful as it once was because all of these different, especially corruption, I mean, we're talking about the president States potentially being compromised, and Miranda Devine, one of the uh, Emma Jo Morris, both of them were nominated for the Dow Prize, and both of them have been absolutely smeared and censored for raising good reporting, for doing good, uh, actually really strong, well sourced, thorough reporting on whether the president of the United States is compromised. It's not just about whether his son is an addict, as his son is now claiming. It's much more serious than that, and Mm -hmm. it's been interesting even at the Federalist too have some insight into uh, Margot Cleveland and her reporting, her sourcing, and seeing it side-by-side with New York Times reporting. So, and and Margot was another nominee for the prize, but just looking side-by-side at a story that Margot will submit and seeing how much better sourced and more careful and more thorough her work is than the New York Times, Uh, it is just it's not doesn't surprise me at this point but it is really remarkable and i wish the average american had more insight into exactly how sloppy and false so much of the journalism that passes for prestige is is now that's coming out of the post and the times another thing the media hasn't grappled with i mean the gallup poll last month found media trust is as low as it was in 2016. that's a record low how is it that the host of The Celebrity Apprentice gets elected president over the former secretary of state and trust in media only gets worse? The media says, we're gonna do better. Uh, New York Times says, we don't get religion, we gotta do better, years later. Here we are, yeah. we're doing so much worse.
0: Yeah, uh, it seems to me that they, they, the lesson they drew from 2016 after they'd been extremely aggressively anti-Trump was, well, we weren't anti-Trump enough, cause he won. I think this is always yes. what happened. It always happens on the left. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and the media on the left only care about what their friends think. Mm-hmm. Uh, people need to understand that when they're like, "Why don't these people understand that half the country thinks they are a bunch of leftists who you know who don't care about the truth?" Mm-hmm. And it's like they don't care about the truth; they care about not upsetting their left wing friends. Right. Uh, so this is where it sort of leads me into the next issue, which is we have a debate coming up. And uh, this is the first one hosted by NBC News, by a so-called mainstream news outlet. Right. This is why we've said, don't let there be Republican debates hosted by liberal networks. You could have a special edition of the Federalist Radio Hour and you could be the moderator. We've said there's, there's the Daily Wire, the there's blaze. the Federalist, there's the Blaze, yeah. there's Newsbusters, there's... Uh, you know, Newsmax, there's all kinds of conservative media outlets who could host a debate. Mm-hmm. Um, now, this one, of course, has uh, Hugh Hewitt in it, but this is the funniest way it gets introduced. I heard this on the local NBC affiliate. And moderating the debate, Lester Holt, Kristen Welker, and conservative radio host Hugh Hewitt.
1: It's unbelievable because Esther Holt is, Lester Holt is on the record saying that journalists don't have to be neutral anymore.
0: Fairness is overrated. That
1: was Lester Holt. Yeah,
0: yeah, which means... Yes, what rates is as long as my friends aren't upset with me. You know, it's kind of sad, Emily, because Lester Holt, when he was like the weekend anchor, when he was fairly new at NBC, it's pretty straightforward. This happens a lot Mm -hmm. where they start out being like, I don't mind that guy. That guy's not so bad. It's just sort of like way earlier in the early 90s. And you said that Katie Couric, she's she's a nice reporter. Then they get the big job and all the pressure of the universe is you got to slam the republicans you got to hit them hard and uh so we expect i mean i guess that's the question how bad could it be
1: so bad and this <laughs> is and you guys have been out on the front lines of this for a long time and saying you know this is unacceptable republicans should not cooperate in debates like this and i i think this is fundamentally on uh, the shoulders of the right that anybody agreed to this debate at this point. That is absolutely none of the candidates should it have should have agreed to do it. Not a single one should have agreed to do it. Uh, the uh, RNC should not have agreed to let this happen, especially when you have such a glaring example in Lester Holt in NBC News, records going back years and very recent ones too of their outright malicious coverage. NBC News, of course, has uh, you know their disinformation beat reporter. He oh. may technically be MSNBC, but yeah. Collins, it's the same thing, it's NBC. Yep. Um, and so they're one of the most egregious outlets, and there's no longer any excuse for legitimizing them because that's what you do. You may have an opportunity to dunk on the moderators, although those never are as, as good as candidates expect them to be because it's so crowded and chaotic during a debate. So you may have that opportunity, and that may be powerful, but there's nothing more powerful than participating in it and legitimizing it, uh, and it, I, think I, I think it says a lot that after the last decade uh, and after the last several decades, anybody is agreeing to this anymore.
0: My prediction was what you're basically going to get going back to one of the last nasty NBC affiliated debates, Harwood, Harwood and and Hugh Hewitt. I mean, the John Harwood debate in 2015, uh, John Harwood wasn't the only moderator. There were several other nasty CNBC anchors. to the point where all the republican candidates started fighting with the moderators because the questions were that obnoxious mm-hmm. um you know i expect hugh hewitt's going to ask the candidates you know how many aircraft carriers they think we should have yes you know he'll, <laughs> he loves those he'll ask the nerdy questions that are deep in the woods about policy um look uh, Ron DeSantis recently did an interview with morning joe which was surprisingly respectful and mm-hmm. if they could follow that model, then we'll come out the other side and say, well, that wasn't so bad. But I'm looking more at something like the way uh, George Stephanopoulos interviewed Steve Scalise the other day. It's like, how many questions are Holt and Welker going to ask about election denial in 2020? Uh, George Stephanopoulos wouldn't accept an answer. Biden is president. That's not good enough. You must say the election was not stolen. And I'd be like, okay, then you repeat after me, George. The, uh, the laptop was not Russian disinformation. Will you admit that? You know,
1: <laughs> well, and our best insight into how bad this could get, actually, I think you need look no further than the the first debate in which we saw even a conservative network facing those corporate pressures um, and facing all of the you, you mentioned all of the pressures that come on people when they're in the biggest spotlight in journalism at that moment to prove their bona fides as a real journalist. Uh, and these are Republican presidential debates. They're supposed to be for Republican and independent leaning voters to make up their minds. They're not supposed to be for the cocktail party circuit in Manhattan. And that's exactly how all of these questions end up unfolding. I think it's great that Hugh Hewitt's going to be there, but he should have, in order to cooperate, he should have said, fine, but you, Lester Holt, and Kristen Welker have to identify yourself as liberal-leaning journalists, as left-leaning journalists. Otherwise, you can't call me conservative because that indicates I'm somehow different than you who are openly on the record saying fairness is overrated.
0: Kristen Welker, who comes from a Democrat family <laughs> uh, and yes, as a moderator, as a previous moderator, tilted toward the Democrats in, in moderating a general election debate. So, I, you know, sadly, Emily, I don't think this is going to be the last one. I think that as we get into 24, ABC is going to get one, CBS is going to mm-hmm. get one. And then, the, you know, the only thing we're grading as voters is is who was who yeah who is best at slamming back mm-hmm. uh, there might be some neutral questions i hope there's some neutral questions but you know what we often do especially at this kind of a debate is just start running the questions saying from the right <laughs> from the left from the left from the left from the left you know and just the minute you say and now let's discuss climate right l <laughs> now let's discuss race l i mean you 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 you, you can't do it that fast, but you're going to guess. You know where they're going. You know where they're going if that's the topic. And that's where, yes, if you, did a, if you did a debate with a conservative site, all the questions would be from the R. And it really might be more of a place where all the candidates have to underscore their conservative bona fides. Mm-hmm. You'd think the liberals would like that. Uh, oh, they're all fighting to be more extreme. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it would be refreshing to just ask them questions and I think you would get real differences of opinion. Obviously, I think we'll expect the candidates to fight with each other. I think DeSantis is going to come in and let Nikki Haley have it. And, you know, Chris Christie's going to attack Donald Trump in absentia. And <laughs> those things we—or, yes, uh you'd, you'd be wondering at this point that Chris Christie's still qualifying. Uh, but at least we'll see some actual Republican statements. But then the next question is— when they mediate this like the next morning how many clips of the republicans saying things are they really going to allow mm. we have a we have a piece that came out today that said trump's gotten 93% negative coverage mm. and he's absolutely dominating the coverage of the republican primary but most of trump's coverage is trump in the courtroom trump being indicted they're not talking policy this is this is exactly why you can be skeptical about nbc's debate i mean nbc what was their lead story last night trump at the civil trial number one story uh and uh what they didn't have last night the manifesto leaked from the shooter in nashville um they didn't have that well that's they might say well that's not very well sourced well, again, they ran with lots of not very well sourced information against Trump, like the p tapes mm-hmm. or whatever. whatever Rachel Maddow was promoting was probably garbage. <laughs> uh, so let's um let's go forward to one of the other issues. I know you've been talking about this. We certainly noticed this in um the p b s pundit roundtable. It used to be. A little more of a debate segment with a Republican and a Democrat or a conservative and a liberal. We all look back to the golden days of Paul Gigueau of the Wall Street yes. Journal. Um, and uh, he broke the mold because before him was David Gergen, mm. was the Republican half, so, so to speak. Well, now David Brooks and Jonathan Capehart pretty much agree on everything.
1: Such a waste of time.
0: <laughs> uh, and uh, they were discussing Tommy Tuberville. Now, the anchor Jeff Bennett ran with Senator Sullivan, Alaska, saying that Tuberville was on a national security suicide mission. Mm -hmm. They love this whole idea that some other Republicans can be compared to, like, suicide bombers Mm. or terrorists. This is the whole line of Adam Kinzinger's book tour. Mm. And then uh, Brooks joked, it's a rare person who could be hated by his entire workplace and still keep going. Mm. So, you know, as you observe this, I mean, well, let me just lay this down and then I'll go to you. And that is nowhere in this discussion about Tuberville was the word abortion. They didn't even explain what the reason was for Tuberville holding up these military promotions
1: because it doesn't matter to them, because the idea that the Pentagon should be paying for its employees to travel to get abortions is non-controversial in the circles that Jonathan Capehart and David Brooks run in. And this is the same exact problem with the debates. How can you possibly suss out the contrast? How can you possibly understand the project that Tommy Tuberville has undertaken if you don't understand, for instance, people where we're from in Wisconsin, if you don't understand the people, by the way, who vote for Tommy Tuberville, the people he supposed to represent in our body of deliberation who think this is outrageous and it is extra legal. The fact that they don't even talk about the legal ramifications of the Pentagon's decisions the constitutional ramifications of the Pentagon's decision, that they don't talk about the fact that Chuck Schumer could basically circumvent this at any time he wanted, or the president could reel the Pentagon in any time he wanted. The Pentagon could say, okay, we're going to give up on this one thing, which is paying for our employees to travel to get abortions they could say you know we think movie we think these nominations are just so important these votes are so important as they say they're comparing this to national security suicide if they really thought that was the case they would give up on the payments for abortion travel but the fact that this doesn't even penetrate the coverage that they don't even mention abortion let alone the Constitution let alone what Democrats have in their power is an incredible statement on how terrible they are and how insulated from the reality of the country they are that most americans would if if you explained calmly to them what tommy tuberville was doing just based on the facts it'd be like this is insane This is insane
0: um many people might not know what the hyde amendment is but that's at the center of this and that is that the federal government the uh, taxpayers we as conservative pro-life taxpayers don't have to pay for abortions and so, therefore, I guess what they're being cute and say, "Oh no, we're not paying for the procedure. <laughs> right. We're paying for the hotel and the and the rental car or right. something."
1: Right. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh,
0: and but yes, there not only is there no mention of abortion. Yes, they're not mentioning that they they did this basically as an executive order mm-hmm. or a or a or a Pentagon directive. There was no legislation passed, mm-hmm. and it's just amazing to me the people who run around and say we're the titans of democracy (laughs) and the republicans are the authoritarians but yes democrats obviously do a lot of executive branch legislating they love it and when trump would do something like that they you know they would do all this talk of authoritarianism and dictatorship well what is it when you do it and so yes this leads to why people don't quite understand why are we unpopular? <laughs> what did we do? <laughs> uh, let me throw one last thing at you. This is kind of a nerdy point, but uh, we talk about people in in uh, in little towns in Wisconsin or suburbs in Wisconsin, and 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 local news ain't what it used to be. You know, where I grew up, the La Crosse Tribune is three mm. days a week now, and it's like eight pages. I mean, it's. Mm. Uh, I guess I said this the other day. I think local journalism is struggling. Certainly the, the idea of a newspaper where everybody's going to get their news on their telephone mm-hmm. or on the cell phone. Uh, the newspapers are struggling. Um, do we think that people in in the hinterlands are, you know, are they only getting national news? Or maybe when I covered local news as a college kid, it was all like. Where do we dispose of the railroad ties? I mean, it was so local; it was like even the locals don't care. But I mean, it, it you know, coming from the National Journalism Center, I mean, what what do we think the future of journalism is on that smaller
1: scale? It's I think it is so depressing, and there are elections here today in Virginia. One thing that I've thought about a lot in the last couple of years, you know, the explosion in Loudoun County here in Fairfax County in 2020 and 2021 over things that parents realized had been kind of happening under their noses. And when school went remote and went to Zoom, they suddenly noticed. I actually really think a lot of this wouldn't have exploded into national rancor if local journalism was what it used to be because a lot of this would have been sort of litigated out at the local level before it ever bubbled into something nationally because most parents would look at what teachers were doing in the classroom and say let's pull back on this (laughs) and the teachers would sort of be chastened and move forward uh but you know in that in the sort of Actually, this is to borrow a phrase from the Washington Post: uh, in the darkness that mm-hmm. you know happens when the media is actually not present, you get some real corruption. So, I mean, I'm hopeful that some new local media will start to explode in the way that new national media has started to explode. I've seen that in some states, uh, for instance, Alabama has a pretty robust—you've seen this too, I'm sure—pretty robust conservative media ecosystem. And these ecosystems aren't perfect, but uh, you know, I, I think there's potential for that to happen it is though so necessary and I think conservatives get so mad at journalists rightfully reasonably so um that we also demonize the people that are trying to give us like the sports scores from the high school football games yeah <laughs> and they like, do the really good stuff on the ground some of them lean left but some of them also do some uh necessary work so I, I think you know we need to figure that out because the pipeline to national media used to run through local media. You didn't just start, for example, in conservative media, so many kids start, you know, we put them there at the daily caller when Mm -hmm. they're 22 love the daily caller. Um, And that's because a lot of those jobs that they could have had in suburban Milwaukee uh, or in lacrosse, don't exist anymore yeah um, and the benefit of that the benefit of going through that pipeline is you know people in that community you're invested in a, a small town a smaller community you know how to cover school boards you know how to do local foias et cetera. Et cetera. Mm-hmm. you have empathy uh, for people who are outside major cities right um, and so that pipeline so crucial and so broken right now
0: it's sad when you think about it. You know, we've been watching a, at least a month of negative ads one way or the other way. This is really how you are informed about the state legislative races in, in Virginia. It's like, you know, you're just, you want to watch everything on the DVR so you can fast forward through it. Because if you're waiting, like we're waiting to watch the NBC Nightly News, my wife likes watching Lester. And uh, then I yell at the TV. Uh, but there's all this mega extremists want to take away your abortions Mm -hmm. this lady russet perry i keep calling her russet potato my wife's would you please stop (laughs) commenting on the commercials but yeah that's to some extent the idea that people are informed by what 30 second negative campaign ads right it's the kind of thing we could worry a little bit about because we care about democracy and journalism that's right that's what we do (laughs) so if you want to keep up with what we're doing with the liberal media you got to come to Newsbusters once, twice, 24 times a day. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Emily.
1: Thank you.